According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I haven't said that for a while. I'm glad I still remembered it. Did you? Psalm 119. That's right. Well, join me in the uh, book of uh, Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Proverbs 1.1, the Proverbs of Solomon, Mishle Shalomo, as it says on the screen, Mishle Shalomo, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Kind of a strange day to not give life a Christ, but after 10 years of that, it's time for something new. Uh, also tonight, as the introduction to Galatians, so uh We've got morning and evening with uh, all things new on this day. God is spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. In preparation for the study of the word of God, let's take a moment for silent prayer and humble ourselves under the authority of doctrine. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do thank you once again for the manifestations of your faithfulness. Day by day, moment by moment, great is thy faithfulness, Father. We thank you for providing us this opportunity to assemble today. Thank you for the safe travels and return. Thank you for uh, the new series you've laid before us. There's so many things, Father, we want to acknowledge your grace provision, your glory, your faithfulness. We call upon your faithfulness once again this hour, the faithfulness of your Holy Spirit and His teaching ministry towards each one of us as you open the eyes of our understanding. Give us ears to hear. We thank you in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to use today, and I don't know how long, to introduce the book of Proverbs. And uh, first of all, have you ever had a study of Proverbs in a, in, in a doctrinal format of a doctrinal Bible church? I know Chet McCauley did years ago. Is that where you had it? Okay, my pastor, my childhood pastor taught the book of Proverbs once years ago when I was probably five, six years old and wrote a book uh, called Wisdom, the Principal Thing. And, uh, but it's been a long time. And uh, did Ralph teach Proverbs? Okay. Yeah, we did in our Through the Bible series, obviously. We did all 31 chapters, kind of on a survey basis. I've been rereading those notes, by the way, and I would recommend you can go through them as well, get chapter-by-chapter outlines for all 31 chapters of Proverbs. Is this another 10-year study? Is this like Life of Christ? I I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I suspect not. I suspect it'll be a shorter study, maybe even a significantly shorter study. Um, But We'll see as the Lord provides. So anyway, the, the poetry is fun. The Hebrew is fun. I enjoy it anyway, if, even if you don't. The, uh, the, I think it's going to be a blessing. Um, it's going to provide for us principles, all right? Not promises, principles. And we're going to have to be very clear as we develop our doctrine based on those principles that we don't try to force it into doctrine that we call promises. Because that's not what Proverbs are. That's not what wisdom literature is about. This portion of the Old Testament is not the law. All right, We need to understand it for what it is. And how do we glean these principles? So uh, we'll say some more things about that, I think, as we work our way through. All right. Let's introduce the book. And I'm experimenting with a new template, and I'm starting to think maybe those letters are too small. 
So if so, we'll uh, adjust it for next week. Proverbs, about eight points of introduction. First of all, written by Solomon, the bulk of them written by Solomon, other than chapter 30 and 31. Um, The bulk of them were written by Solomon in an early collection and a late collection. There is a later collection in the days of Hezekiah. Um, We actually have a couple of headings here we need to look at. Uh, Proverbs 1.1, you'll notice. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. That's a heading not only for chapter 1, but a heading for the entire book. And so these are his Proverbs. Um, Chapters 1 through 9 form a unit, what I call parental wisdom. And we'll uh, give you the outline here shortly. Chapter 10, take a look at chapter 10 in verse 1. Again, it's a section heading, the Proverbs of Solomon. And you're thinking, well, wait a minute, didn't we already introduce the book in chapter 1? Why are we reintroducing the book again here in chapter 10? Well, there's a reason for that. Chapters 10 through 24 you could, could even be thought of as the book of Solomon. The portion of, of Proverbs is, is specifically the Proverbs that he collected, that he collated, that he wrote, that he compiled. And at his death, that's what the book of Solomon, uh, the book of Proverbs was, was uh, uh, 10 through 24. Proverbs 1 through 9 is a different section. I'm going to introduce that here as well. Parental Proverbs, the Proverbs that he received from David and Bathsheba, the Proverbs that he was blessed with from his childhood. The first nine chapters, what I call parental wisdom, are the Proverbs of David and Bathsheba that they instilled upon Solomon in his youth. He was then instilled upon his children in their youth. So we have a new section heading here in Proverbs chapter 10. Then Join me in Proverbs 25. Flip over there. Another section heading. These are the main book headings. There will be some subtitles as well besides 1-1, and 25-1, and we'll introduce those when we reach them. Proverbs 25 and verse 1. These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. And so there's a collection starting in chapter 25 that takes you down through chapter 29. All right, we don't count chapter 30 or 31. We'll look at those next. Um, But this section, 25 through 29, is our later Proverbs, written during Solomon's lifetime, but not compiled, not organized, not arranged, and not canonized until the days of Hezekiah. All right, we're talking centuries later. When was Hezekiah? About 700, all right? About 700 B.C. Solomon is about 950, 930 B.C., when, when Solomon is, is assembling his Proverbs. So 200 years later, another batch of Proverbs are compiled and added to the canon. Uh, Proverbs was compiled over a period of time, same as Psalms. Uh, David didn't sit down and write Psalm 1 through Psalm 150 in order and then put the package to take the package to the temple and said, here, hand this to the, you know, add this to the canon. It's not how it worked. Same thing with Proverbs. They were, uh, Solomon's Proverbs were put together in his lifetime and then starting in chapter 25 during the time of Hezekiah. And this section is sometimes called the book of Hezekiah. Okay? There is no book of Hezekiah in the Bible. That's kind of an old joke. Turn to the book of Hezekiah, right? And people start flipping through their minor prophets trying to find Hezekiah or something, right? There is no book of Hezekiah except Proverbs 25 through 29 can be thought of as the book of Hezekiah because it's the 
It's the corpus of Solomon Proverbs that were assembled in Hezekiah's reign. And that's what we deal with there. All right. So written by Solomon in an early collection and a later collection in the days of Hezekiah. If you look at chapter 30, it's the words of Augur, the son of Jakah, the oracle. And I'll probably change pronunciation on that when we get that far. Agur, uh, Jakeh. And uh, who in the world is this guy? Well, we don't know. The man declares to Ithiel, who's he? Don't know. To Ukko, who's he? Don't know. All right? But we have names and we'll study. We'll give the speculations and the guesswork. And um, the material here in Proverbs 30, when were they, when was this chapter added to the collection? Canonized by the Holy Spirit, placed in the Hebrew canon. Not entirely certain. Same thing with 31. The words of King Lemuel, uh, the oracle which his mother taught him. And um, some try to break chapter 31 into two parts, but that makes 1 through 9 ridiculously short. I think that uh, all 31 verses is included under the heading, the uh, words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him, and that includes the acrostic poem of the virtuous woman in uh, 10 through 31. All right. Now, you would think that a point as simple as written by Solomon would be without debate. <laughs> because how easy is it to read in your Bible the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel? All right. God said it. I believe it. Um, there are, of course, skeptics and higher critics and a bunch of German liberals and American liberals and a bunch of skeptics and so forth. They don't believe God wrote the Bible in the first place. And there is no shortage of theories about the book of Proverbs. I'm not going to waste your time or my time. I've already wasted enough in my own study to go through a lot of that garbage. Uh, We're just going to keep it simple with what the scripture says and deal with it from there. Because the Bible's testimony as to Solomon's wisdom is undeniable. The Bible has a comprehensive testimony as to Solomon's wisdom and his literary production. So in our point two, I want to take the time this morning to acknowledge the Bible's testimony as to Solomon's wisdom and literary production. Okay? David and Solomon are not mythical. The liberals tell you they are. David and Solomon are real. The real, this is the Davidic line. It is the Davidic throne. Um, the, the skeptics hate it because Satan hates it. The Davidic covenant guarantees that the Davidic son will be on the Davidic throne for all eternity. That's why Satan hates it so much. But the Bible testifies repeatedly. Jesus referenced Solomon. Jesus talks about how in the days of Solomon, not even Solomon clothed himself like the lilies of the field, for example. The Bible's testimony is to Solomon's wisdom and literary production. And uh, I think the first few chapters of 1 Kings makes it pretty clear uh, there's also Second Chronicles parallel, but we'll just leave it with First Kings for today. First Kings chapter two. First Kings chapter two. Join me in First Kings, and uh, we'll see. Also, I meant to start that up again. There we go. Let's 
So point two in the outline, the Bible's testimony as to Solomon's wisdom and literary production, starting in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 6 and verse 9. Now I know you're all excited for me to get to chapter 4, and this is where he, the Lord, uh, he makes his request and he gets all of his wisdom. Um, and, uh, and this, or chapter 3 anyway. Uh, but I think it's important to highlight what preceded this. What preceded this? So in chapter 2... We have the death of David. As David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon his son, saying, I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, his testimonies, according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. Now, the advice for David, it's not just the father's advice to a son, this is a king's advice to the new king. Okay, And the succession that was organized in chapter 1 deals with that. But the first order of business for any king is to make sure his walk is right with the Lord. This is what Proverbs is all about. You want a walk of wisdom? You've got to be right with the Lord. You want wisdom in your personal life? You need to be walking right with the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so this is how David instills it into Solomon. The issue is your character and your walk with the Lord. So that, verse 4, the Lord may carry out his promise which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Now there is a conditional promise there for all of the earthly descendants of David. (coughs) A conditional promise. Ultimately, there's a long-term promise that's eternally fulfilled in Christ. But for all the sons of David until the time of Christ, each one of those kings is going to be blessed or disciplined based upon whether they imitate David or not. And the good kings that fear the Lord like David are going to be blessed. The wicked kings that don't serve the Lord, that are not like their father David, they're going to be disciplined. And that's the pattern for all the kings of Judah from David down to uh, Zedekiah, David down to when the throne is vacated. All right, the issue is, Solomon, you've got to walk right. Uh, now, a couple of other things here. Notice, um, got some business that has to be taken care of, and Solomon's going to be, anything that's not finished by the father is left to the son. He's got to deal with it. And uh, you know about Joab, the son of Zeruiah. Um, Zeruiah is David's sister, so Joab's a nephew, also the general of the army. Uh, what he did to me, what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, to Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. He also shed the blood of war in peace, and he put the blood of war on his belt, about his waist, and on his sandals, on his feet. So act according to your wisdom. Do not let his gray hair go down to Sheol in peace. There's a certain kindness that David was obligated to show He could not inflict justice, and some people are critical and say, well, he should have. He was wrong for not doing that. Well, the reality is he didn't do it, and it was left for Solomon to deal with. So whether David was right or wrong for that, it was still old business that Solomon had to deal with in his day. And then in verse 7, he says, Show kindness to the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite. Let them be among those who eat at your table, for they assisted me when I fled from Absalom your brother. Now here's the issue. Those that were a blessing to David, he's recommending, he's commending them to Solomon. Those that were a cursing to David, 
he's recommending them for Solomon to deal with. And it's that basis. Were they a blessing or a cursing to David? It's like the blessing or cursing for Israel, the, the Abrahamic covenant. I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse. Applied to David in the political aspect of, his, uh, of the Davidic covenant. Uh, behold, there is with you Shimei, the son of Gera. That's verse 8. The Benjamite of Bahurim. Now it was he who cursed me with a violent curse on the day when I went to Mahanaim. But when he came down to me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to the death with a sword. Now therefore, do not let him go unpunished. So David says, look, I took a vow. I can't punish him. But as soon as I'm dead, you're the king and you need to administer justice. Do not let him go unpunished, for you are a wise man. And you will know what you ought to do to him. And you will bring his gray hair down to shale with blood. Now, the reason I'm taking time to highlight all this is because we had a reference in verse 6 and a reference in verse 9 to the wisdom of Solomon. And this is before his uh, special prayer and the injection of divine wisdom into into his soul. All right? He was wise before he became more wise. And there's a principle there. Again, verse 6, act according to your wisdom. What kind of wisdom did he have? God's wisdom. The wisdom that was instilled by his parents. The wisdom that was when he was grounded in the word of God from his childhood. The wisdom that David and Bathsheba poured into him. Okay, And this is why, to me, it's just total grace in the Old Testament. Because if, if there's a worse way to start a family, uh, to, if there's a worse way to start a marriage, then David and Bathsheba, I can't imagine what, it, what, what a worse way might be than adultery and murder and, and uh, the loss of the child and, and the way that David and Bathsheba started their marriage. I can't imagine a worse way than that. But that first child died, the second child was Solomon. He becomes the firstborn son of grace, the son of blessing, the son of promise. And... Uh, we see the wisdom that David and Bathsheba poured into him. Every time you have the word, my son, in Proverbs 1 through 9, I know that that's David and Bathsheba training him. All right? My son. Do not despise your father's teaching. Do not despise your mother's teaching. It's going to happen again and again and again and again in the first nine chapters of Proverbs. So he has wisdom in verse 6. Again in verse 9. Um, you are a wise man. You are a wise man. A wise boy becomes a wise young man, becomes a wise man. And on the day that a ministry is opened unto him, he doesn't just find himself king all of a sudden by accident. There is preparation to get him there. And that preparation is grounding him in the Word of God, grounding him in wisdom along the way. If uh, on day one in ministry you decide to start accumulating wisdom, it's too late. (laughs) What have you been doing up till now? You've been acting a fool up till now. That's the kind of king you're going to be. It's the kind of pastor you're going to be. It's the kind of father and husband you're going to be. All right? This is the generational nature of wisdom. And we'll see this again and again in the um, chapters of Proverbs as we work our way through. Um, You know, when I think about Torah, I think about uh, the prophets, I think about other portions of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew canon. Um, God designed the priests and the Levites to be their Bible teachers. 
the priests and the Levites were set apart and trained and equipped. They were tasked by the Lord for teaching doctrine, for teaching Torah, for teaching law. And that was their function in the, in the, in the nation. Wisdom is a family Bible class. Wisdom is our principles of doctrine that are taught from parents to children, that are taught in the home. Not going to the temple for a Levite to teach you wisdom. Okay? It's a difference between doctrines and promises and principles. There's a difference between Torah and the uh, Kethuvim, the writings of the Psalms and the, and the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. All right? And particularly the, the racy stuff in Song of Solomon. You, you give that in the home. You give that in the family. Parents teach that in the, in the uh, family as a primary place of learning. Over to chapter 3 then. First Kings chapter 3. In, uh, for the rest of chapter 2 then, he does what needs to be done. David dies and Solomon begins to execute Joab, to execute Shimei and all the uh, old business is uh, dealt with to, to clear the decks for the new, for the new reign. And then in chapter three, Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Begins to now step into his new reign. He's not following David's instructions at this point. David didn't tell him to make an alliance with Pharaoh. Um, other issues here. Notice. Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were still sacrificing on the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And this will become a pattern too. Even the good kings that followed after the example of David will have a but, or an also. And well, it wasn't totally wholehearted. He, uh, yeah, he, was, he, was, uh, he served the Lord. He just had these other things also. A little bit of worldliness blended in with his worship. The king went, in, went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, ask what you wish me to give you. Now this is really, to me, noteworthy. This is the faithfulness of the Lord to come to him in a dream, even though he's, he's not, I mean, let's face it, he shouldn't be in those high places. He shouldn't be offering those, uh, those sacrifices. But God's a God of grace. It's like when Jacob's on his way out of the promised land. He's on his way to go live in Paddan Haram. He's on his way to, uh, he's, he's running away from his brother, really. He's leaving the land of promise. He's leaving his father, Isaac. And uh, God appears to him in a dream at Bethel. And he sees the vision of Jacob's ladder. And he says, come back here. I will bring you back to this land. So it's, it's interesting. Solomon's out of line with this idolatry. But the Lord comes to him in a dream. He says, ask what you wish me to give you. What a test. What a test. Now he answers, and he answers well. Why? Because he already has a degree of wisdom that was instilled into him by his parents. That's the point I'm making here this morning. The idea that, you know, well, I'm not as wise as I want to be. 
Who is? All right? But you're wiser than you used to be, and build on the wisdom you have now and accumulate more wisdom. And with your wisdom, acquire understanding. That's what we're going to learn in the book of Proverbs. We're going to learn that we are where we are, and we're going to be growing even more. And when it comes to wisdom, ask of God. He gives to all generously without reproach, not just Solomon. Any of us can go and ask for more wisdom. This becomes uh, this example of Solomon's, our pattern for, uh, for James chapter 1. All right, ask what you wish me to give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great chesed, great loving kindness to your servant David, my father. So not only does he have wisdom, but he's oriented to the, to the grace of God. According as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you, you have reserved for him this great chesed, this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, and yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. Now, this is a bit of hyperbole, but it's an expression of humility is what it is. He's not a little child. He's, he's an adult male. All right. But compared to David, compared to, I mean, it's like uh, trying to be pastor when, when, you know, you have a pastor like Ralph Braun around here for, for all those years. How do you follow a pastor like that? How do you follow a king like David? All you can do is just fall on your face in grace and, and mercy and say, Lord, do what you want to do. Thank you for being a God of grace. All right. You have made your servant king in place of my father, David. I didn't earn this, didn't deserve this, but you made it happen. Father, you opened this door. You put me here. You know what needs to be done. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen. See, take it back to what God's doing. Take it back to what the Lord's doing. The next time you think that you don't have a clue what's going on, remember that he does. <laughs> this is a part of his plan. And, uh, and if you're going to be critical about what's happening, stop. Stop. Okay? Remind yourself that he's the one that's in charge. Your people. So your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted, so give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? He's asking for this wisdom to have the capacity to be the effective servant that the Lord wants him to be. In reality, that should be all of our prayers. What is it that he would have for me to be? What is my assignment? What are you suiting me for? I want to be suitable for the assignment you've given and so it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. The other things he could have asked for, as it says here, God said to him, because you have asked this and not asked for yourself long life or riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. So all the things you could have asked for, what a carnal mind would have asked for, what a selfish mind would have asked for, and he didn't. And God was well pleased with what was asked. He was well pleased with what was not asked. Behold, I have done according to your words, and I've done even more. Remember, God's the one who answers exceeding abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. He says, I'm going to give you what you've asked for and more. What you didn't ask for. I've given you a wise and discerning heart. 
Now, part of this we're going to have to evaluate. I won't answer today, but what kind of wisdom did he have? Spiritual wisdom? Secular wisdom? Both? How did he apply that wisdom? Well, uh, I think it will become clear very shortly. Um, Behold, I have done according to your words. I have given you a wise, discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you. That includes David, by the way. Solomon views himself as inferior to David, but God makes him greater than David in terms of wisdom and understanding. No one like you before you, nor shall one arise after you. He is unique, the pinnacle of human wisdom. The pinnacle of human wisdom as far as all the kings of Israel are concerned. I've also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. And he does this not because he's earned it or deserved it. Why does he make Solomon so rich? Why does he make Solomon so rich? Why didn't he make David that rich? And David was rich, but not as rich as Solomon. Why? What is the point in making Solomon the richest man to ever walk this earth? Okay? Just per capita, you know, translate the funds across. Um, Because he's a picture of Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom. That's why. David is a picture of the conquering Christ. David is the man of war. David is the picture of Christ when he comes and has victory over his enemies. Solomon's the, the prince of peace. Solomon's the foreshadowing, the typology of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. That's why David wasn't allowed to build the temple, and Solomon had to build the temple. That's why Solomon had no wars, because David won them all. All right? Millennial kingdom will have no wars. Now, uh, if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments, as your father David walks, walked, then I will prolong your days. Notice, though, that there's conditions here for the temporal blessings. He's going to blow it. I mean, we know how the, the end of Solomon's a wreck, right? A thousand women. The end is a wreck. The wisest man that ever lived stopped using the wisdom God gave him. There's a warning for all of us. So Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. He came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered burnt offerings, made peace offerings, made a feast for all his servants. Notice he's not going back to the high places, not this morning. (laughs) He's going to respond to the dream, and he's going to act according to the wisdom God provided. And then here's the divide the baby chapter and the things that happened there. All right, over to chapter 4, more testimony point is though he started with wisdom parental wisdom and then he asked of god and received even more wisdom all right this is what we're going to learn in the, as a pattern for for any of us uh, there's a principle in in scripture if you train up a child in the way he should go when he is old he will not depart from it that's a principle we're going to see it's not a promise it's not a it's not a law you can't call God a liar if uh, a child was trained up in the Word of God and, and went bad later in his life. Okay? Stay tuned. We're going we're gonna to spell this out. I've seen too many uh, parents devastated because they think God's a liar. They think that a promise didn't hold true. It's not a promise. It's a principle. It's a general truth. But there are other general truths at work as well, like we reap what we sow. And your carnal child is reaping what, they've, what they're sowing. Apply every principle of Scripture and see how it, comes, how it comes together. 
First Kings chapter 4. Now this one's huge, 29 through 34. This one actually uh, is important for the introduction of the book of uh, Proverbs in a lot of ways. Um, without reading through the wealth and all of this. Well, let's see. Chapter 4, verse 20, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. They were eating and drinking and rejoicing. When, you're, when your land is at peace, it's a good thing. The wars are finally over. You're not, you know, you're not losing all your soldiers in the, on the battlefield. And your uh, men have time to be at home with their families and to raise their children and, and to uh, be productive in civilian life. And Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines, to the border of Egypt, they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. It almost reaches the Abrahamic covenant land grant promises. And even when they didn't have the territory, they were getting tribute from the territory. They brought tribute, it says in verse 21. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen, 20 pasture-fed oxen, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. Boy, he's hungry. Okay, not him personally, but that's his palace, that's his house, that's his, um, that's his, uh, his, his kitchen staff has to prepare that every day. We had dominion over everything west of the river, from Tipsah even to Gaza, over all the kings west of the river. Now they were still kings, but they paid him tribute. He didn't have ownership of the total land grant. Israel has never had ownership of the total Abrahamic land grant. And he had peace on all sides around about him. So Judah and Israel lived in safety. Every man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. He had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots, 12,000 horsemen. Those deputies provided for King Solomon and all who came to King Solomon's table, each in his month, they left nothing lacking. And so it's broken down, and this is how he sets up his uh, administration. They also brought barley and straw for the horses and swift steeds to the palace where it should be each according to his charge. So this is the foreshadowing of the millennium. This is what a, a, a government in peace is going to look like. All right, now here's a summary statement, and this, this is uh, good to be aware of. King, uh, God gave Solomon wisdom. Now, is this a repeat of what we read in the previous chapter, or is this additional wisdom beyond that night that he gave that first prayer? I think he built on that night, kept providing wisdom. God gave Solomon wisdom. We never assume we have it all. There's always more to attain to. He gave Solomon wisdom and a very great discernment and breadth of mind besides what he knew, besides how he knew how to, the difference between knowledge and wisdom. We'll study that. Not only does he know a lot, he, he applies it in life. He applies it well. And then the breadth of mind even increases his capacity to learn for himself new things, to invent new things, to imagine new things called breadth of mind, like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. I'm going to give you some subpoints here. There were other cultures that valued wisdom, and he surpassed them all. 
He was wiser than all the men, than Ethan the Ezraite, whoever he was, Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, whoever they were. And his fame, see, isn't this remarkable? The comparison scripture gives us and secular history doesn't even remember them anymore. And all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs. Now, is that what we have in our book of Proverbs? How many Proverbs are there in the book of Proverbs? Well, there's 31 chapters, but how many Proverbs? I mean, each chapter has got dozens of Proverbs, right? They're, they're counted in different ways. All in all, about 800 Proverbs in the book. So 2,000 and more Proverbs that he wrote aren't in our Bible. Does that bother you? Doesn't bother me at all. He also wrote songs. His songs were 1,005. That's pretty precise. <laughs> okay? I mean, I'd have stopped at 1,000 and just said, there it is, you know. But five extra songs, he wrote 1,005. Okay? What do we have in our Bibles? Two Psalms in the book of Psalms and the Song of Solomon. What about the other 1,002? Okay? The word in Scripture. Like how many letters did Paul write to people that aren't New Testament books? Dozens. Who knows? Okay. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. Um, he spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. In other words, much of the wisdom God gave him was secular, temporal wisdom administrative matters, earthly material, things related to agriculture, things related to animal husbandry, things related to the wealth of nations, biblical economics, we can imagine. And men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. This is foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. What's going to happen when Jesus Christ reigns in Jerusalem? Kings will come to Jerusalem to worship Jesus Christ. They will come to hear his word. The word of the Lord will come forth from the Lord in Jerusalem. We're not going to have United Nations committees. Okay? They're not going to go to New York. They're going to go to Jerusalem. And they're going to ask the Lord Jesus Christ for his wisdom. All right. So I hope this doesn't bother you. There's more Proverbs than we're going to study in the book of Proverbs. Or there's more songs than we have in Psalm, uh, what is it, Psalm 127 and Psalm, uh, I don't remember now. Um, there's two of the 150 Psalms that are, that are Solomon's. All right, uh, chapter 5. More Solomon, I mean more wisdom. More Solomon. The Lord gave wisdom to Solomon. Well, how many times does he keep doing this? He gives, and he gives, and he gives, and he gives. Don't think that, well, he's already given, so that's a past thing, and now I'm kind of on my own. I'm going to kind of have to muddle through based on what he's already given me in the past. No, go get some more. (laughs) Okay? Well, he's given me so much. All right. He's given me more than anyone else has ever been given. Great. Go get some more. There's always more to give. He gives to all generously and without reproach. The reproach would include the idea that, well, I've given you enough, 
make do with what I've already given you. That's reproach. No. He gives liberally, generously, without reproach. And so now he gets more. This is the story of Hiram, king of Tyre. In the first ten verses there, Hiram had been a friend of David. Hiram had always been a friend of David, we're told in verse 1. Okay, and Solomon, in his wisdom, says, well, if this is a, he's a Gentile, he's a Gentile dog. Remember the Syrophoenician woman? She said, Lord, even the dogs can eat the table scraps, the crumbs that fall from the table. She's from the same place here that, that Hiram was king of Tyre. I think God blessed Tyre because of Hiram. Even in later centuries when Jezebel, I mean, that's where Jezebel was from. Even then, for the sake of Hiram, I think that Tyre was blessed. And Solomon recognizes, you know, David wouldn't be his friend if he wasn't a man of character, if he wasn't a believer, if he didn't love Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God of Israel. And so uh, Solomon says, it's time to build the temple, the temple David wanted to build. Verse 3, you know that David, my father, was unable to build a house for the name of the Lord, his God, because of the wars which surrounded him, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord, my God, has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. Behold, I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord. He's going to fulfill what was promised. And David already made provision for it. This is part of, I I preached this three different times in Africa. I think Steve Arnold was tired of hearing it. But uh, I gave the same message in in three different countries, different places. How do you respond when God answers no? When you want to do something and God says no. Yeah. David worshipped. David heard he couldn't build a temple. Heard that his son was going to build the temple instead. And he worshipped. Whereas you and I, we you know, humans would tend to pout, right? Get all mad. Well, who does God think he is, right? And we, we, we get our feelings hurt. I wanted to build a temple. I wanted to do that. Well, fine. Don't let me, you know, I'll show you. I won't do anything. I quit, right? We, we pout. We hold our arms. We stomp our feet. Fine. If I can't, if I can't build a temple, well, then forget it. I won't do anything then. I'm done. I'll, I, I'm done being king. I'm done being, you know, whatever pastor you know fine i don't get my way i'll show you then i won't do anything and how many christians you know adopt that as an attitude in in different david didn't david said well okay i can't build it but i can fund it he said i can i can i can make friends with hiram king of tyre i can arrange for all the cedar that solomon will ever need to build that temple and i will accumulate the wealth i will accumulate the treasure said i won't be here to see it but he's serving the Lord by paying for it. And so Solomon becomes king and it's kind of a no-brainer. Wow, here's, here's Hiram, king of Tyre. He's got all the cedar and David uh, organized that friendship, organized that uh, arrangement. See, if your nation is on friendly terms with a bordering nation, you can conduct peaceful business between nations. All right. And so they do this. Also, um, and besides the fact that they have earthly arrangements, that's a win-win, um, there's also spiritual blessings. When Hiram heard the words of Solomon, 
he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord today, who has given to David a wise son over this great people. Hiram's a Gentile believer. He knows who Yahweh is. He's able to pronounce the blessing here. He's able to bless Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God of Israel, recognizing that the new king is going to do just fine. Now, um, they make all these arrangements. Here's not only am I giving you uh, lumber, cedar and cypress timber, but I'm also giving you the, uh, the expertise, the craftsmen. My servants will bring them down from Lebanon to the sea, and I will make them into rafts to go by sea to the place where you direct me. I will have them broken up there, and you shall carry them away. So the transport, the delivery of the, of the building materials. And Hiram gave Solomon as much as he desired of the cedar and the cypress timber. And Solomon then gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20 cores of beaten oil. Thus Solomon would give Hiram year by year. And so the Lord gave wisdom to Solomon more, just as he had promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon. Wisdom and peace. The two of them made a covenant. All right. So that's chapter 5. Finally then, the last bit of this is over to chapter 10. The rest of this, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, they're building the temple. The prayer of dedication. Let's see. On my way here, look at in, in chapter 8, verse 17. Solomon's addressing the, uh, the people here. He says, It was in the heart of my father David to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, Because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. I like that. I like the verse because this tells you that you can be wrong and still be right. (laughs) You can be wrong in the specifics. You can be wrong in the will of God because of just ignorance you don't know. But the desire, the attitude is proper. The, uh, The grace orientation is appropriate. And the eagerness is appropriate as we taught the doctrine of the eagerness, right? So, and this is a verse we looked at as we were teaching this lesson. If you think there's something you want to do, a ministry trip you want to take, or a, a book you want to teach, like I want to teach Proverbs, I want to teach Galatians, I want to teach Isaiah. Well, what if I'm wrong? What if, uh, what if I've not followed the divine guidance procedures? I just, I'm making a mistake, okay? God will show that. He will step in and keep the mistake from happening and still reward you for having the right motivation in the first place. So, um, we've got to ask ourselves, is this my idea or is this your idea, Lord? <laughs> Where did the idea come from? Where's the Satan's idea? You know, the, the whole thing about numbering the armies of Israel, Satan whispered that into David's ear. And David listened to that. We started numbering the armies of Israel and 
Even, uh, remember that episode, even Joab said, uh, I don't think it's a smart idea, David. <laughs> okay? And that's a clue when a, when a rascal like Joab thinks it's a bad idea. So you get these ideas, where do they come from? Is it from the Lord? Is it from Satan? Is it from your own imagination? Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Where do ideas come from? And sometimes, if it's not the Lord's idea, if it's your idea, in permissive will, the Lord may let it happen. Or, in the overruling will, the Lord may say, nope, can't let that go. Great idea, but it won't work because I've already got a plan for Solomon to build that temple. So, not criticizing you for having the idea, not telling you don't, don't think for yourself. We should think for ourselves. We should be thinking of ways to serve, thinking of ways to minister, thinking of open door opportunities. Nothing wrong with that. All right. Then, um, all right, that's enough on chapter 8. Let's get to chapter 10. More wisdom. He just kept growing. Kept growing in wisdom and wisdom and wisdom. See, what I want us to see is not, I want us to see the increasing wisdom in all these episodes. All right? It wasn't just one episode in chapter 3 where the Lord said, what do you want? David said, I want, or Solomon said, I want some wisdom. And then, you know, light shined upon him and boom, Solomon's given superpowers the rest of his life or some kind of a divine wisdom. It came, yes, it came that night, but then it kept coming and it kept coming and more and more and more until he turned his heart away from it. All right. And I think it's important that we see this. Anyone can walk away from wisdom. Anyone can pervert wisdom as Satan did. He corrupted his wisdom by reason of his splendor. Wisdom can be corrupted. So in chapter 10, the uh, the end of chapter 9, the temple's built. Uh, he relocates his wife, Pharaoh's daughter, came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her, and he built the millow. And then three times a year, Solomon offers burnt offerings and peace offerings. Built a fleet of ships in Ezion Geber. It actually has a Red Sea port. The boundaries of Solomon were larger than Israel ever had before. So Hiram sent his servants with the fleet sailors who knew the sea. If you're going to build a navy, you've got to learn how to sail, right? And who's better to teach you how to sail than get the Phoenicians to teach you how to sail? He went to Ophir and took 420 talents of gold from there, brought it to King Solomon. So you have port facilities, you have imports, you have exports, you're going to get rich. Chapter 10, when the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. Why was Solomon famous? It says right there, the name of the Lord. She came to test him with difficult questions. And uh, came with a very large retinue, camels, all these spices, precious stones. Spoke with him about all that was in her heart. Probably things she didn't mean to ask. And Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king, which he did not explain to her. Sometimes uh, when someone's asking you a question, you figure out that that's really not what they're asking. <laughs> There's other things they're not saying. And uh, if you have the right kind of wisdom, you can get right to those issues too. And when the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters, 
their attendants, his cupbearers, the stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. There's an idiom. Okay. And she said to the king, it was a true report, which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Why does God let those stories get told? Why does he let those reports spread? They're true, but why does he broadcast them? Why does he let that reputation reach that point? Well, he wants to bring people everywhere. See, I think it's a, it's a remarkable capacity God has to make his name known even beyond where we think it, it is known. All right. What we don't want to do with this, let's see. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came and my eyes have seen it. So there's what I heard, but I didn't believe what I heard. I had to come and see it for myself. Behold, the half has not been told to me. The part I heard was only part true. I didn't even know half of it. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report which I heard. How blessed are your men. How blessed are these your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. See, now here's a queen. Here's somebody who knows what it means to rule people. And she sees in the example of Solomon the the pattern. She sees what she wants. She sees what she needs, what her people need. Her people aren't blessed the way that Solomon's people are because she doesn't have the wisdom Solomon has. And then blessed be Yahweh, your Elohim, who has delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel. I think she gets saved in this episode. She has an understanding who Yahweh is. Because Yahweh loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and do righteousness. And so she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great amount of spices and precious stones. And never again did such abundance of spices come in as that which the queen of Sheba gave King Solomon. In other words, this is a turning point. This is the pinnacle. We would really like for 1 Kings to end right here. (laughs) Okay. Or maybe not 1 Kings, but we would like for the, the death of Solomon to come very quickly and he could die in his wisdom. All right. But we know that's not how it ends. Um, why do we have Song of Solomon in our Bible? Why do we have Ecclesiastes in our Bible? And here's a fun debate. Which order did he write them in? Okay. There's a no shortage of opinions in every, in every order. You know, it's, uh, I think, I suspect the reason why that later collection didn't get added until the days of Hezekiah is because Solomon had turned from his wisdom. And had a very limited collection that was in his lifetime, chapters 10 through 24, plus the David Bathsheba uh, material that probably was added in Solomon's lifetime. Um, but then he turns to his folly. He turns to all those women, which we see in Song of Solomon, which we see in Ecclesiastes. All right, so. 1 Kings 10, verse 14, after she goes back home, she turned and went to her own land together with her servants. And that's almost where we were. This is Ethiopia. This is uh, likely Ethiopia, anyway, just north of Kenya, where we were a couple weeks ago. The weight of gold which came to Solomon in one year was 666. (laughs) Don't ask me why. It's just what it was. Is that related to Antichrist in the book of Revelation? 
All right. Now, um, sadly, there's chapter 11. King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. See, that was his first wife. That's the wife of his youth. That's the wife he should have stuck with. But you keep adding, you keep multiplying. Back under the law, the king was prohibited from multiplying wives. Solomon defied that. He loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, the Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the, and nothing against interracial marriage or anything issue there. The problem is, is they're idol worshipers. From the nations concerning which Yahweh had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you. They will surely turn your heart away from after their gods. And this is what happened. Solomon held fast to these in love. How many Christians do you know compromise their doctrinal norms and standards because they're in love? Oh, boo-hoo-hoo. All right. Oh, pastor, you don't understand. Well, you're making choices contrary to biblical norms and standards. Yeah, but I love him. He will change. All right. (laughs) Well, he had 700 wives princesses. In other words, every wife is legitimized and given uh, princess status. 300 concubines. They're not illegitimate, but they're not given princess status. Their children are not heirs and have no inheritance. His wives turned his heart away. See, that's the issue. And when Saul, see, and this is the pattern. Now, David had a, David had a polygamy problem. Right? Who was here in the... Not many. We, we did a Life of David series years ago. We taught Life of David. You were here. Ethel, Shirley. Okay. Life of David. You're, how many wives did David have? David had a bunch of wives, including Saul's daughter, Michael, including uh, Abigail, the widow of the, of the idiot, um, Nabal, the foolish Nabal, right? Um, he had multiple wives, multiple children through those wives, and they gave him all kinds of trouble. Absalom and Tamar and Amnon and all those. And then uh, he had all those. And then when King Saul died, he took custody of Saul's harem. Saul was a polygamist. Kings have wives. Okay. Um, and then he lusted after Bathsheba. See, what happens when you're maladjusted to God's provision, then there's never enough. Okay. There's never enough. You always need more. Okay, more money, more sex, more whatever. And uh, well, what's interesting, um, I believe he became monogamous. I learned this from Ralph, that David and Bathsheba were monogamous, that he put away those other wives. When you track every son, go, you know, you look at First Chronicles, you look at the, 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 the lineage of, of all the sons of David, there is the only children born after Solomon are Bathsheba's children, the full siblings of Solomon. There's no more half-siblings. There's no more of the, uh, of the other women, right? Including um, the one I laugh about, uh, Eglah. I love Eglah, okay? It's just because. It, 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 the Hebrew name means heifer, you know? And, and it's a different culture back then. You can't call your wife heifer today 
and that's and maintain a marriage. Okay, you call my wife a heifer, and that's that's insulting. But David had a wife named Heifer, and and but you track all the children of the siblings of Solomon. Every half sibling was older than him. And every sibling younger than him was a full sibling. In other words, there were no more polygamy-produced children after Bathsheba. And when you read through Proverbs, I'm, we're out of time. Next week, we'll kind of give a, a survey of chapters 1 through 9, and we'll show you all of the my son, my son, my son, my son. And we see the doctrinal basis that David and Bathsheba instilled upon Solomon in his childhood. What he could have instilled upon Rehoboam except for a fact that there were all those other women (laughs) and all those other children. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for the book of Proverbs. We're looking forward to the coming weeks and months and years. Whatever you have for us, Lord willing and rapture pending, Father, um, build within each one of us a hunger for wisdom. And whatever we have now, you're going to provide more. We're asking that you would provide more. We're asking, asking, asking day by day, Father, Increase our wisdom today. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.